Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. Last Sabbath was particularly inspiring for me. I, I was just moved for days afterward. And I was particularly moved by Pastor Murray's youth study where he brought the youth together, and and rather than teach them something, he asked the youth, teach us, what have you learned so far? And I'll tell you, those presentations blew me away. The, The grasp that our youth have of God's word. I want to thank all the parents. You know, Murray and I, we don't do these youth studies. We We could have. I mean, we started out doing them. But we delegated and said, parents, participate, teach. And it's working. It's working. The effort that you're putting into it is paying off. Brethren, this is, let's, turn, let's begin in Mark 10. Mark 10. This is uh, very moving for me. Very, it's a very personal matter for me. Mark 10. Mark 10, verse 13, And they brought young children to him, that he should touch them. And his disciples rebuked those that brought them. They didn't want the children bothering Christ. But when Christ saw it, he was much displeased, and said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not. For of such is the kingdom of God. Christ had a heart for children, and he wanted the children to come to him. And, and that's what we're doing when we are educating our youth, is we're creating a path to Christ. And as I said, I was so inspired because this touched me personally. I can remember when I was 15 years old, and I was in science class, biology, and they began to teach the theory of evolution. And I had never heard it before. Everyone around me, more or less, was religious. And I can, remember, I can remember being forced to go to church and hating it. And I really didn't care for God, but I just kind of knew God was there, you know, when I was ready. And being confronted with this theory of evolution, it, it shook me. And I can remember walking home from school, alarmed, confused. What, what is our origin? This was a really uh, defining moment for me. And it went on for a while, and I can still remember the day, the day, when I was taking a shower, and I came out of the shower, and I was drying myself, and I just looked at myself, and this absolute conviction came over me that I was created, that I did not evolve from a a snail or a dog, or a monkey. I just, I had this absolute conviction. I am a created being. So now the question was no longer, at 15, are we from an amoeba, or were we created? That wasn't the question. The question now that consumed me was, who was my creator? 
That was one. And two, what did he expect of me? I became consumed with this question, or these two questions. But fundamentally, what is the purpose of life? And I began to ask the adults in my life, what is this all about? What is the purpose of life? And not a single adult could answer me to my satisfaction. You know, when I see today as adults, we have conversation and children will participate in the conversation. That blows me away. When I was a child, I was taught, respect your adults. And if adults were having a conversation, we would never participate in the conversation, even if I had an opinion. That was the adult world, and I was a child. And so I had this regard for adults. And I began to ask them, what is the purpose of life? And they didn't know. Some tried to explain to me the Trinity and heaven. And when I pushed, it made no sense. I can remember a teacher looking at me and basically, he didn't pat me on the head, but his attitude did. And he said, you'll get over it. And as a teenager, I became enraged. I couldn't believe that people, it it bothered me that they didn't know. But what made me angry was they didn't care. And I just, I couldn't believe it. That you don't know, you get up every morning and this isn't your number one priority. Like to me, I couldn't live another day and not know. So when I exhausted all the adults in my life, what I did next was I went to the library. And in Toronto at Young and Bloor, they have the big reference library. Almost every day after school, that's where you'd find me. Third floor, religious section. And I was reading everything I could. And I began to be intrigued by the uh, Bhagavad Gita, which is the Hindu scriptures. And then ultimately the Quran. Today, my library that I'm in every day is the Bible. The book of books. You know, at 16 is when I really began to delve into this and study. And it wasn't until I was 23 that God opened my eyes. So I started to read the Bible, but it was just this dead, boring history book. So I put that aside and started to pursue everything else. And then at 23, God brought me back to the Bible. Book of books. 66 books. I think Brother Jan referred to this. 40 authors. Three continents, and it's a complete system that's fully integrated. It's as if you go into the library, and you know this is Old Testament's over here, New Testament over here. You've got the law, history, prophets, wisdom. Here you've got uh, history, you've got epistles, you've got prophecy. And it doesn't matter which section you go into, which book you pull out, which page you read. It's all cross-referenced. And you can just spend your whole life in there, and as I intend to do, spend the rest of my life studying these books in this library, understanding and being able to answer this question, what is the purpose of life? Why are are we here? And that teacher that said to me, you'll get over it, was dead wrong. I have never gotten over it. Every single day. I, I don't spend a day not thinking about this question. Why am I here? What does God want from me? 
Am I living up to his expectations? So I want to today, brethren, explore how Jesus Christ answers the question, what is the purpose of life? What is the purpose of life? Why are we here? We know that he is the Alpha and Omega. All things begin with him. Human life begins with him, and it ends with him. Look at the end of the story, Revelation 13. Revelation 13. Such a joy to me to see our youth. I I wish when I was 15 I could have met one of our youth and asked them, why are we here? And and get an an answer that made sense, that I could push and, and delve into and they could give an answer. There's depth to it. I was so deserved. I became a very angry teenager for that reason. I spent my teenage years angry that people could not answer this question. What a joy to see our youth. Revelation 13 and verse 6. And he opened his mouth, speaking here of the Antichrist, in blasphemy against God, to blaspheme his name. Unbelievable. But that's, there, there is an Antichrist force here. There is a force on earth that wants us to fail, to not fulfill our purpose. At 15, I'm wondering, what does my creator expect of me? What I didn't know was that there is an Antichrist, that there is a devil that does not want me to know. That does not want me to succeed. And so here now, here's this proxy for the devil, blaspheming his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints. There's such a hatred toward us that it will be given unto him. He'll be allowed to make war with the saints and to overcome them. So let's not be surprised if they appear successful. It's been given them that they can overcome the saints. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. So the hatred of Christ and his saints will be global. This disease, this blindness, this deception will be global. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him. Those who do not have the sight, whose eyes have been blinded, will worship him. Whose names, notice this, this is the part I wanted to focus on. Whose names are not written in the book of life. There is a book of life. Our names are in this book. What enabled this book to exist? Of the Lamb, that the book of life belongs to the Lamb, slain from the very foundation of the world. So at the end of the story, we learn that at the beginning of the story, the Lamb was slain. That before the foundation of the earth was even laid, it was understood that the lamb must be slain. If any man have an ear, let him hear. He that leads into captivity shall go into captivity. So this will be the fate of this Antichrist. He that kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. So don't, let's not be persuaded by the apparent success of this power. It will end. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. So we have to have enough understanding, and Sister Laura was talking about this today, 
that we have to prepare ahead of time for martyrdom. And when we have that, this is our patience, that like Christ we can suffer. And this is here our faith. We read the word of God, we understand the purpose, we understand his design, and we agree. We say amen. So, the point I wanted to draw out here is from the very, at the end of the story, we learn that at the beginning of the story, the lamb was slain. Look now at John 5. And this will tie in wonderfully with the beautiful study we had earlier on the character of Christ. From the foundation, as we, as we fashion the planet, we know the lamb must be slain. The lamb must suffer excruciating torment and death for the redemption of mankind. John 5 and verse 39 Jesus, in speaking to the Jews around him, he said this, search the scriptures. So they love the scriptures. They're in the scriptures. Go ahead, search the scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life. But those very same scriptures, they are they which testify of me. So, so Christ is not an afterthought. He's a forethought. He is Alpha. And the very scriptures that were given to your ancestors testify of Christ. And you will not come to me. So even though they're all about me, you won't come to me that you might have. You're searching for life. I am life. But you won't come to me. I receive not honor from men, verse 42, but I know you, that you have not the love of God in you. And it's like, again, at 15, I'm going to all these adults in my life. They didn't have the love of God. They didn't. Or, or those that thought they did, they didn't have the true love. Because if they did, when I pushed them and they couldn't answer, they would say, you know what, let me join you in your quest. But here these Jews did not have the love of God in them. I am come in my Father's name, but you receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him you will receive. So you'll accept any other doctrine. But here I come with the truth of my Father. How can you believe which receive honor one of another and seek not the honor that comes from God only? So again, you know, when we, when we ask the question, what does my Creator expect of me? That's what I want. It's not the honor from men. Do not think, verse 45, that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one that accuses you, even Moses, whom you trust. So Moses is someone who they really looked up to. He's the lawgiver. They trust him. They, they build their whole lives around his writings. Guess what? I don't have to accuse you. Moses accuses you. That was quite a condemnation. For... If you believed Moses, you would have believed me. Again, it's this library where everything integrates. So everything in the gospel that we read integrates with Moses. If you had believed Moses, you would have believed me. But the reason they don't believe him is they're after something else. They're after the honor of men. 
They want their position. They want their status. They don't want Christ. If they had believed Moses, they would have believed Christ. For why? For he wrote of me. But if you believe not his writings, how shall you believe my words? So let's just do a quick survey of Christ in Moses. So Christ, Moses wrote the Pentateuch, the first five books. Let's start at book five, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 18. He says, Moses wrote of me, but you don't believe his writings. Deuteronomy 18. And verse 18, Moses writes, I, God, will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren. So they should be looking for this. Like unto you, Moses, and I will put my words in his mouth. So Christ is telling them, I don't speak my own words. I, I, I speak what the Father gave me. I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. So Christ said, I didn't come to do my own will. I do the will of the Father who sent me. And it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words, which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. So here in the fifth book of Moses, Deuteronomy, just one example, we can search the scriptures because Moses wrote of him, and all the scriptures testify of him. But here, a clear prophecy that Christ would come. Look, let's go to book four, Numbers. Numbers 14. Numbers 14 and verse 14. And they will tell it to the inhabitants of the land. For they have heard that you, Lord, are among this people. That you, Lord, are seen face to face. Christ says no man has seen the Father. So this face to face interaction is with Christ. You are seen face to face. And that your cloud stands over them. And that you go before them by daytime in a pillar of a cloud, symbolizing Christ, and in a pillar of fire by night. So here in the fourth book of Moses, he writes of Christ. What about the third book? Let's go to Leviticus. Leviticus 16. Leviticus 16, and beginning in verse 14. He writes, And he shall take of the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it with his finger upon the mercy seat eastward. And before the mercy seat shall he sprinkle of the blood with his finger seven times. Then, ha then shall he kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people. So the sin offering is for the people. He's writing of Christ. And bring his blood within the veil. And do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bullock, and sprinkle it upon the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. And Hebrews tells us that these things, this tabernacle and everything that happened on the tabernacle, is a pattern of what is in heaven. And that Christ is the high priest. And Christ is the offering. And Christ sprinkles his blood as a propitiation for our sins. Verse 16, And he shall make an atonement for the holy place, because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel, and because of their transgressions in all their sins. And so shall he do for the tabernacle of the congregation, 
that remains among them in the midst of their uncleanness. He was slain from the foundation. It was, an, it was understood that man would not be able to resist the devil. And that for all of our uncleanness, blood must be shed. And the lamb was slain. And so all of this uh, ritual that they went through, uh, that Moses wrote about and instructed them about, was pointing to Christ. What about the second book, Exodus? Let's go to Exodus 12. Exodus 12, verse 21. Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said unto them, Draw out and take you a lamb, according to your families, and kill the Passover. Again, he's writing of Christ. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and strike the lintel and the two side posts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out at the door of his house until morning. For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood upon the lintel and on the two side posts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not suffer the destroyer to come in unto your houses to smite you. And we know that the Lord is coming with wrath, with wrath upon the land. And those of us who accept him as, as our Passover, our personal Savior, we will be spared the wrath of the We may not be spared the wrath of Satan. That's okay. That's temporary. But we will be spared the wrath of the Lord, whose wrath is forever. He can destroy us and take us out of existence. What about the first book of Moses? Did he write of, did he write of Christ? Let's go to Genesis 22. Verse 6. Genesis 22, verse 6. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac, his son. Does this sound like the cross that Christ had to bear? And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. So this is something the father and the son had to do together. And Isaac spoke unto Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for the burnt offering. So they both of them so they went both of them together. God will provide a lamb. He is speaking of Christ. He is writing of Christ. God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering. And they came to the place which God had told him of. So God told him to sacrifice Isaac in a specific place where he would provide the lamb for the burnt offering. But in this very specific place which God told him of, that's where Abraham and Isaac went. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. This is symbolizing Christ. The Father and Christ sacrificing together. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. 
And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not your hand upon the lad, neither do anything unto him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Christ was God's only begotten son, which he did not withhold. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram, or a lamb, caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram that God provided. God will provide a lamb for himself. And offered him up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And this he is writing of Christ. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. And this apparently is the very place where Christ was sacrificed. This is Golgotha, so the very place, Calvary, where Christ was sacrificed. So he says, you know, you're searching the scriptures, but they testify of me. And if you believed Moses, you'd believe me, because he wrote of me. Now, from the foundation, he was sacrificed. But let's look at Moses' writing in Luke 3. To see how this is something that is not an afterthought, Christ becoming human and dying and shedding blood is not an afterthought. Look now, we know Matthew traces the genealogy of Christ to Abraham because he's speaking to Jews and he's showing the lineage from Abraham. Luke, a Gentile, traces the lineage of Christ all the way back to Adam. All the way back to Adam. Look at verse 36 to 38. And sometimes these genealogies, we just kind of read over them. But there's a lot here. 36, Luke 3. Which was the son of Canaan, which was the son of Arphaxad, which was the son of Sem, which was the son of Noah, which was the son of Lamech, which was the son of Methuselah, which was the son of Enoch, which was the son of Jared, which was the son of Mahaliel, which was the son of Canaan, which was the son of Enos, which was the son of Seth, which was the son of Adam, which was the son of God. If you're taking notes, write down these men's names in a column on the left and the meaning of the names on the right. So two columns, the name and the meaning. Adam means man. Seth means appointed. When uh, Eve lost Abel, she said that God had appointed her a son, Seth. Enos means mortal. Canaan means sorrow. Malael means the blessed God. Jared means shall come down. Enoch means teaching. Methuselah is interesting. I always thought that uh, in, I thought it interesting that when you look at these genealogies and how long people lived, it looks like Methuselah died in the flood. 
And so I always thought, like, hmm, I wonder what kind of man he was if he died in the flood. His name actually means, his death shall bring. And it was a prophecy that was given to his father, that as long as Methuselah was alive, the flood would not come. But once he died, the flood was coming. So he called him Methuselah, his death shall bring. Lamech means the despairing. And Noah, named so because he would bring comfort, means comfort. So if you look at these men, I think it's ten of them, from Adam to Noah, from Adam to the flood, and you look at the meaning of their names, put a period after Enos, mortal, a period after Canaan, which means sorrow, and a period after Noah, which means comfort, then we have three sentences. Man appointed mortal, sorrow, the blessed God shall come down teaching his death shall bring the despairing comfort. Tell me that's not profound. There it is. They're, they're slain from the foundation of the world. If we just look at this genealogy, man appointed mortal, sorrow, the blessed God shall come down teaching his death shall bring the despairing comfort. Slain from the foundation. Let's go back to this conversation that Christ was having with the Jews. And we finished John 5. Let's pick it up in John 6. What the Jews didn't understand is that this whole earth, the whole world, was created by Christ, and it was created for Christ. He is the purpose of life. We are here as gifts to Christ, as much as Christ is a gift to us, and together we are a gift to the Father. This is what life is all about. It's all about Christ. In fact, I would say... I love the Worldwide Church of God. Turned my whole life around. I was going nowhere fast. And I, I'm very grateful, forever grateful. A criticism I have, though, in the Worldwide Church, we did not praise Jesus Christ enough. It's a shame. And I've, we've had brethren here who are upset that we praise Christ. We don't praise him enough. It's, it's impossible to praise Christ too much. God wants us to lavish him with praise. Because when we honor Christ, we honor the Father. Christ truly is the purpose of life. Let's pick up this uh, conversation then with the Jews. So he began in John 5 saying, you know, if you believed Moses, you'd believe me. He wrote of me. You search the scriptures for eternal life. I am eternal life. John 6 verse 1. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great multitude followed him, because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. And the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes, he saw a great company come unto them, come unto him. So, he goes away with his disciples and the whole crowd follows him. And he says to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? I mean, they've got to eat. Look at, look at them all. 
What are we going to do? And this he said to prove him or to test him, for he himself knew what he was about to do. Philip answered him, 200 pennyworth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, says unto him, There is a lad here which has five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? So there was some food, but it would be like enough for maybe 20 people. There's a whole crowd here. What are we going to do? And Jesus said, make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down in number about 5,000. So he had really attracted a crowd here. People saw him. He was healing people. And they were, who is this man? He attracted about 5,000 people. And there's no food. So they're just following him. They're so excited to follow him, but there's no food. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed it to the disciples, and the disciples to them that were set down. And likewise of the fishes as much as they would. So as much as they wanted, they kept passing the fish. When they were filled, so first maybe they had the fish with the bread, then the fish in the bread, then the bread in the fish. And when they were filled... He said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. So maybe they're a good journey away and they need to make sure they retain this. Therefore, they gathered them together and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth, that prophet that should come into the world, which Moses wrote of. He's saying, this is him. When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king. So this is is the man that Moses wrote about. He should be leading us. So Jesus saw that they were going to take him by force to make him a king. He departed again into a mountain himself alone. So he just slipped away from them by himself. So we've got 5,000 people, we've got the disciples, Jesus has disappeared. And when even was now come, his disciples went down unto the sea. So they were fishermen, they went to the sea, and they entered into a ship and went over the sea toward Capernaum. So they went over to Capernaum, and it was now dark. And Jesus did not come to them. So Jesus slipped away. The disciples got in the boat and they went over across the sea to Capernaum. And the sea, verse 18, arose by reason of a great wind that blew. So now the wind is getting really tempest. So when they had rowed about five and twenty or thirty furlongs, I think it's about five miles, so they were rowing, well into the sea, well from shore, they saw Jesus walking on the sea. Remember, he had left them. Now he's walking on the sea and drawing near unto the ship, and they were terrified. Who is this man walking on the sea, coming toward them? 
But he said unto them, It is I, do not be afraid. Always comfort him. Then they willingly received him into the ship. So now that they knew who he was, come on into the ship. And immediately, so it's funny as well, immediately the ship was at land where they went. So they were kind of five miles in. They see this man walking on water. He tells them it's me. Okay, good. He gets in, and suddenly they're on, at shore on the other side. The day following, so the next morning now, when the people which stood on the other side of the sea, so they're still on the other side, saw that there was no other boat there, save the one that his disciples went into, and that Jesus did not go with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples were gone away alone, howbeit there came other boats from Tiberias near unto the place where they did eat bread, and that the Lord had given thanks, when the people saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, they also took shipping and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. So it seems like in the morning more boats came, and so they got into those boats looking for the disciples and looking for Jesus. But they made note that Jesus was not with the disciples when the disciples left in the one boat. And when they had found him, verse 25, on the other side of the sea, Remember, he was not in the boat with them, but they found him on the other side of the sea. They said unto him, Rabbi, how did you come here? So they know that he didn't get in the boat. So they're saying they found him. Rabbi, how did you come here? Jesus answered and said unto them, Truly, truly, I say unto you, truly, truly, not just truly, but truly, truly, I say unto you, you seek me. That's good. But it's not because you saw the miracles. It's because you did eat of the loaves and you kind of like those, uh, what do they call them now? Uh, filet fish? Is that it? <laughs> you like the filet fish sandwiches. That's why you're following me, right? For us, you know, we don't appreciate this, but, you know, if I'm hungry, I just kind of pop to the local store and I buy something. That's not so here. You got to fish, you got to hunt, and you may not be successful. So food is a big deal. And here's a man that can just produce food. We need to be with this. He needs to be in our gang, right? If he can just produce food at will. So he's saying, I, I get it. You're following me because you ate the loaves and you were filled. Labor not for the meat which perishes. And, and I tell you, brethren, this is the kind of realization God gave me at 15, with all these adults laboring, for what? Like, before you do anything, figure out, why are we here? Then go and do the other things. But to make these other things your priority, and you don't know and you don't care, Christ is saying, get your priorities straight. Labor not for the meat which perishes. That's not, that shouldn't be your highest priority. I know you've got to eat. It shouldn't be your highest priority. Instead, labor for the meat which endures unto everlasting life. When you figure out the purpose for life, work for that. Because the life is eternal, or it's supposed to be. Eternal. Which the Son of Man shall give unto you. So I will give you the meat that will allow you to live forever. This, this uh, fish and loaves, you can eat it but you're going to die. 
I can't keep you forever. I can't keep you alive forever on fish and, and, and loaves. But I do have other meat. I do have other bread that if you eat of this, you will live forever. But for that meat which endures unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him has, the God, has God the Father sealed. Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God. Do you want to know what the work of God is? This is it. That you believe on him whom he has sent, slain from the foundation of the world. This is God's work, that there will be a people who believe that God has come to earth in the flesh to give eternal life. This is God's work. They said, therefore, unto him, what sign do you show then that we may see and believe you? What, what do you work? You know, our fathers ate manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So he's talking about, you know, don't labor for this, this uh, nourishment that, that you, you're not going to live forever. I'll give you meat. So they say, well, you know what? Our fathers had manna in the desert. And, and God miraculously gave them bread from heaven. So what's your sign? What are you going to do for us? Then Jesus said unto them, Truly, truly, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven. You're mistaken. But my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which comes down from heaven and gives life unto the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore, we really want this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that comes to me shall never hunger. He that believes on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you that you also have seen me and believe not. All that the Father gives me shall come to me. So it's a gift. We are a gift to Christ. Christ gives, God gives us to Christ. And everyone that he gives to Christ shall come to him. And him that comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven, not to do my own will. So I'm going to do everything the Father commands me. As it said in Deuteronomy 18, I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. So Christ is an apostle. He was sent by the Father. And this is the Father's will which has sent me, that of all which he has given me, I should lose nothing. It's almost like, you know, when he uh, did the loaves, and he says afterwards, gather up everything. So everything, when I asked for this blessing, and now it's given out, don't waste it. Gather everything. Nothing, don't lose anything. So this is Christ saying, all that is given me, I'm going to make sure I don't lose any. Of all which he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. This is eternal life. 
This is the bread that we can live forever. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which sees the Son and believes on him may have everlasting life. And I will raise him up at the last day. So this is the work of God, that we believe in Christ, that we believe that God came in the flesh. This is, you know, you say this to people and it's like, this is crazy talk. Well, this is the work of God, that we will believe that Christ came, the lamb slain from the foundation. The Jews then murmured at him. Who is this guy? What is he talking about? You can imagine what they're saying. Who does he think he is? Because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? Familiarity breeds contempt. A prophet is not without honor except in his own country. How is it then that he says, I came down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said unto them, Murmur not among yourselves. No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him. And I will raise him up at the last day. And we know that the, the holy days show us there is a first fruits, there's also a fall harvest. And so we cannot break that. We cannot come to God now unless he draws us to Christ as first fruits. Verse 46. Sorry, verse 45. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. Every man, therefore, that has heard and has learned of the Father comes unto me. Not that any man has seen the Father. He makes this clear. No man has seen the Father. Save he which is of God, he has seen the Father. So only Christ has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, he that believes on me has everlasting life. I am that bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness, and they're dead. So that bread from heaven, that's not the true bread from heaven. Yep, you're right. They ate manna in the desert, and they're all dead. In fact, of the two million eating manna, only two went into the promised land. The rest, God made sure they died. Your fathers, verse 49, did eat manna in the wilderness and they're dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die, not die the second death. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. This is the Passover lamb slain from the foundation, came to earth as a human to sacrifice himself that we may live. The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said unto them, Truly, truly, I say unto you, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoso eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. 
So we have to accept this offering, this Passover offering, to have eternal life. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eats my flesh and drinks my blood dwells in me, and I in him. As the living Father has sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eats me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eats of this bread shall live forever. So we really need to get this image in our mind of 5,000 people basically stranded without food who would perish without food and Christ giving them bread and eating until they're filled. And then Christ saying, that didn't help you. That's nothing. You're going to die. That's not the bread to, to strive for. I am the bread. That he that eats my flesh and drinks my blood, death can't touch him. If you eat my flesh and drink my blood, like get this in your head. You're, you're, you're in this sort of chemical existence. And you need chemicals to stay alive. And it's all temporary. It all comes to a halt. But I'm the bread that if you eat my flesh, you'll never die. This is profound, eternal life. These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Many, therefore, of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can hear it? So they were not of the first fruits harvest. By permission only can you actually grasp this and embrace it. When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Does this offend you? What and if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? So if you were to watch me go to heaven, because I came down from heaven, what would you say then? It is the spirit that quickens. The flesh profits nothing. So you're laboring for the flesh. doesn't profit. Labor for the spirit. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. So this library, 40 different authors and 66 different books, Old and New Testament, three continents, 40 authors, these are the words of life. And if we digest this, we strengthen the spirit and can live forever. It is the spirit that quickens, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And he said, therefore I said unto you, no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my father. So it's by permission. And, and, you know, again, my personal experience, brethren, is I, I beg to understand, what is this all about? And I was years studying and searching and couldn't find it. And then one day, God allowed me to know Christ. And suddenly the Bible made sense. It's by permission only. So to be born second generation and to have this truth is a phenomenal gift. By design, that God designed it, that our children are born in families where they can know what no one knows. And, and no one knows, but we know. 
Therefore said I unto you, no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my father. And again, I just think of those years searching diligently every day, inquiring diligently and no access until God decides. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. It's just their, it's not their time. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, will you also go away? Simon Peter answered him and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Christ has it. The purpose of life is in Christ. The creator of life is Christ. Let's go to John 1, where John speaks of the Logos. The Logos, that terminology, John did not invent that. That is not something that was new at the time. The Greek philosophers philosophized about the Logos. Christ, uh, John just made it plain that this is the true Logos. But if you look at uh, Wikipedia, it shows that Heraclitus, who lived from 535 to 475, so about 500 BC, it was Heraclitus who was the first to use the word Logos with special attention in Greek philosophy. So 500 years before Christ, Heraclitus was speaking of the Logos. And he explained it as the reason why. What is the Logos, the fundamental principle of a thing? And that's where we get today, ology. So biology. What is the fundamental principle of life? Psychology. What is the fundamental principle of the psyche? Archaeology. We're all searching, trying to understand That's what ology comes from Logos. And Heraclitus was the one who really began this. It says here, ancient Greek philosophers used the term in different ways. The sophists used the term to mean discourse. So you dialogue, trying to understand. Aristotle applied the term to refer to reasoned discourse, the argument. What is the premise of your argument in the field of rhetoric? The Stoic philosophers identified the term with the divine animating principle pervading the universe. So John now takes that philosophy, all of this dialogue around the logos, and what's the fundamental principle, and this is now what he tells us in John 1. In the beginning was the logos. So from the very beginning was the reason why. And the Logos was with God, and the Logos actually was God. This is it. This is the reason why. Christ is the reason why. From the very beginning, he is the Logos. He is the fundamental principle. And we, again, because of the holy days, we understand this. He's the Alpha and Omega. He starts the process for man, the redemption process, and he ends it. And and the Father draws all men to Christ. And then Christ, when everything is given to him, he gives it to the Father. He is the reason why. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. He made it all. So from the very beginning, he knew he would have to sacrifice himself. And he created everything with that knowledge. 
Then he came into his creation and sacrificed himself for his creation to bring many sons to glory, to join them in this relationship. And it's very interesting. God is love. You can't be love by yourself. To be love, you have to be in relationship. So from the very beginning, there's relationship and there's love. So much love, in fact, that they say, let us, plural, make singular, the verb make, create, one, they are one, man in our image and likeness. So that they can participate in this loving relationship. And so Christ is the forerunner, the pioneer of our salvation. All things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. Verse 10, he was in the world. The Logos came into his creation and the world was made by him and the world didn't know him. Unbelievable. But, I, you know, it's unbelievable, but I believe it. I can understand how it would happen. Where the creator would come into his creation and mankind can't accept it because of that deception, the damaged eyes that they cannot see. He came unto his own. Not only was he in the world and the world didn't know him, but he came unto his own. And we read that in John 5 and 6. And his own received him not. Not only did they not receive him, they wanted to kill him. They, not only, they, they killed him. That's how much they didn't receive him. But as many as received him, those that the Father permits now as first fruits, to them, to us, gives he power to become the sons of God. This is the purpose for life. We're not here. I'm not here to be a human son. Human beings were not made to reproduce human beings. Human beings are here as the reproduction of the God kind. Animals reproduce after their kind. God is reproducing after his kind in us. And that's why he came to earth incarnate to be the pioneer of our salvation. As many as receive him, he gives us power to become the sons of God. We must be born again. We were born once, we must be born again and become the sons of God. Even to them that believe on his name. This is the work of God, that we believe on his name. Which were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Let's conclude with the passage that Daniel read to us in Colossians. And just realize, brethren, what a privilege. What an awesome, incredible privilege that there's people truly are blind. And, and they're blind willingly. I was blind unwillingly. You know, from 15 to 23, I was unwilling to be blind. But I couldn't help it. It was not permitted for me to know. And then God suddenly lifted the blinds and I could see. I could see Christ. 
What a privilege. He is the reason why. He is the Logos. Colossians 1, verse 12. Giving thanks unto the Father, which has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Wow. Wow. Truly we should give thanks. It's the Father has decided that it's, okay, it's, it's appropriate for us to participate in the inheritance of the saints in light. This, this inheritance which is the whole universe is out there. And God, this is something that Christ said, with desire have I desired to, ha- to have, take this Passover with you, which symbolizes my destruction. And I have desired to have this with you. God is love. And with this great deep desire, he wants us to inherit all things. Who has delivered us from the power of darkness. And again, I just know the darkness I was in. And he delivered me from that and delivered all of us from this. And has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. He is the Logos. He is the reason why. In whom we have redemption through his blood. Even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God. No man has seen the Father, but they handled and touched the Word. He lived with them, and He's the image, just as He's created us to be the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of His creation. So He's not the only one, but He came into His creation, and there will be more. We're among the first fruits. There will also be a fall harvest. For by him were all things created, and everything is created with a purpose. And by him, everything was created with a purpose. He is the Logos. Everything that's in heaven, everything that's in earth, everything that's visible, everything that's invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, All things were created by him and for him. This is the great love that God has for his son. That everything is created for him. God is love. And he is before everything. And by him, all things consist. And he, this creator, this being that created everything, that everything is for him, he is the head of the body the church that's who's leading us that this is our head this is our shepherd he is the head of the body the church who is the beginning in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god this is who is our head the head of the church the beginning the firstborn from the dead The grave couldn't hold him. He is the bread of eternal life. If we eat his flesh, the grave cannot hold us. Temporarily, three days, three nights, and he's back. We die, we're back. Job said, if a man die, will he live again? And then he said, I know that my Redeemer lives. And that I will see him with my own eyes. Job understood this. I will come back to life 
And I will look at my Redeemer with my own eye. I'll have my own body with my own eyes, and I'll see my Redeemer. He's the firstborn from the dead, but not the only born from the dead. This is the whole purpose and the reason why. That in all things, he might have the preeminence. So forever. Now try to think forever. Forever and ever and ever. Christ will have the preeminence. He is the Alpha and the Omega. In him all things consist. He created everything. And and as we live millennia into the future, and we do everything that we do, we will always remember that it was Christ who died for us, who was brutalized for us, who suffered for us, and who enabled us to eat his flesh and live forever. Christ is the reason why. This has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at cgiburlington.org.